Hey everybody, welcome to episode zero of Masks and Mayhem, a superhero role-playing podcast using the tabletop game Mutants and Masterminds. I am RC, the Game Master, and I am joined by my friends who will be playing the different characters. I'm Dan, I play Yardak, the first Atlantean ambassador to the surface in 200 years. I'm Rachel, I play Ruby Lawson, a film school graduate who creates illusions and objects after contact with unusual media. I'm Sama, I play the speedster post-human Myra Hassan. So yeah, the basic gist of this is we are all playing the tabletop game Mutants and Masterminds. It is basically a lot like Dungeons and Dragons. You roll a single 20-sided die, add the appropriate number, and you see if you beat the challenge. And for damage, which is the fundamental difference between this and other games, instead of having hit points, you do damage, which grows over time. Every time you're hit, you get negative one to your roll. And if you fail a roll by between one and 15, it does different amounts of harm to you, which will basically put you at a greater disadvantage. And if it's more than 15, you're knocked out. So let's get into a little bit about the world. Dan, tell me a little bit about Yardak himself and what he can do. Yardak is an Atlantean. He is a member of the Atlantean Guard. Uh, he is about six foot two. He's 200 years old. Uh, he has black hair and blue eyes. His powers are water manipulation and healing. He can create things like water whips with his hands and force fields as well. He uses water as a conduit to heal so he can heal small injuries. All right, cool. Rachel, tell us a bit about Ruby. Okay, Ruby is a 23-year-old woman, and she's about 5'7", and has longish brown hair. In her, with her powers, she can make smaller objects and bigger illusions, and something Ruby doesn't know yet is that she can shoot light from her hands, and it kind of looks like a strobe light. In fact, in my character, she is called uh, the Razzle Dazzle. <laughs> and Sama, tell us a little bit about Myra. Myra is like a fun cross between Miss Marvel and The Flash. She's a 22-year-old, hazel-eyed, brunette-haired woman. Her power is super speed, and now she's discovering all the bells and whistles and ways she can use them to do the hero thing. All right, awesome. Uh, we're going to circle back around now and talk a little bit more about character backstories. So let's go back to Yardak. As I was saying, Yardak is the ambassador to Atlantis, which the last ambassador was actually his father who was killed in the War of 1812. Because of this, Yardak has a bit of a standoffish attitude towards most of the humans that he meets while he is up on land. Yardak is also pretty much a, a ward of the palace. He is best friends with the Prince Yarkalen. So he has lived in the palace his whole life with his mom as his dad was off doing the whole ambassador thing. And now it's Yardak's turn to step up to the plate and see what he can do for the people of Atlantis. And how long has he been doing that for? Roughly half a year so far. Does he get to have regular contact with Atlantis? Yes, Yardak actually uh, has a what I like to call a shell phone. <laughs> it is actually called the Ripplecom, and he can use it to contact with Atlantis while he is up on land. And he also can go visit Atlantis in between missions as he can swim quite swiftly as well. Since we're talking a little bit about it, the Ripplecom is basically like a bowl with a bunch of Atlantean runes around it that when he puts water in, creates functionally a, a water hologram with whoever, whoever he's just talking with. Think Megan Supernatural. Okay, let's come back out of the sea and let's hear a little bit more about Ruby's pre-adventure life. Uh, Ruby is from Texas, and it was actually while she was back home that she saw the meteor, and it basically disintegrated when she touched it. Mm -hmm. Ruby actually moved to Riverside City to go to film school, which is where she met her best friend, Bethany. 
Ruby is a film nerd and a TV nerd and loves to make references, especially to Space Cadet, which is a very popular sci-fi program, and Ruby is very into it. It's not at all a knockoff of a popular multi-series, multi-decade spanning uh, sci-fi show in the real world. Doctor Who? (laughs) So far, before she gets roped in to helping out with Union, Ruby was using her powers to help with her film career. She would go and she often goes in private and make special effects with her illusion powers or she doesn't need to buy props because she can make them with her powers and it's very convenient and very cost effective. So Sama, let's hear a little bit about what led Myra down the the hero path. Myra recently moved to Riverside City with her family. She has a younger brother Mo, who's pretty much her best friend, and an older sister Hazima, whom she doesn't always see eye to eye with. Um, she was in a situation that she really wanted to escape, and she just ended up running really fast. So now we're going to talk a little bit about the world that this takes place in. Riverside City is a northeast United States like metropolitan hub in the vein of, of New York or Washington or Boston, and it's where Yardak has been stationed as an ambassador. It's where Myra recently moved to. It's where Ruby went to film school and is living now that she's a graduate. So we're talking a large city with skyscrapers and industry. The main thing that has drawn the three of them together is a group called the United Nations Irregular Operations Network, otherwise known as Union. The organization is to basically combat extraterrestrial threats and post-humans, which are the superhuman people of this world. This group, through their adventures, has been drawn together to fight alongside Union, where they get some of their missions from and a lot of their assistance. From the couple adventures we've played so far, what are your thoughts on Union? Betsy Bullard is not the best of friends with Yardak. <laughs> so he's referring to director Betsy Bullard, the head of Union, who he had a frosty first meeting with. They don't have the best recruitment tactics. <laughs> and what Sama means is uh, Agent Kevin Lewis, who is like one of the top field agents, was in charge of recruiting Myra. And to do so, he created a fake house burning scenario to kind of get her to use her powers and test herself before revealing his true intentions of bringing her to Union to talk more about her abilities. Ruby's actually been getting along great. They all seem like they're nerds like her. (laughs) Especially Frank. Which she means Frank Dunlap, who is the head engineer for Union. And he actually developed the holographic hazard intensity chamber, nicknamed the Horns, which is a sort of holodeck type area to do different combat scenarios in. And he's the cute coma guy. No, Frank's like middle-aged, you know, he's a little, I I described him as portly. I mean, he's old compared to the 23-year-old. And the cute coma guy is Agent Alan Rickard, (laughs) who is really a rather minor character uh, that they just met during their first adventure, and he got knocked into a coma. (laughs) Literally what happened is I asked if he was cute, and then he got knocked into a coma, and so I've been very concerned. It's a tragedy. And this is where we insert the music of The Heart Wants What It Wants by Selena Gomez. (laughs) (laughs) The only Union NPC we haven't really mentioned is Dr. Lydia Alvarado, who is the head sort of science medical person for Union, who Ruby met her when she first came in to meet Union. They gave her a blood test to kind of examine her abilities and learn more about like what makes her powers work. So they've been on a few adventures, which we're just going to kind of go over a little bit. The first time that they ever played the game together, this was before Sama actually came onto the team. It was 
Ruby and Yardak and a few other characters who were transported to an arena in space and forced to fight their way out and escape from the clutches of Unibon, who was the warlord of the arena. Eventually, they deposed him. One of the people that they were captured with, Gemini, who is a mimic who can who can touch people to mimic their powers. Gemini was a part of Union. Do we even need to mention Gemini? Yeah. Oh. You thought these characters were gone. No. Oh. Player knowledge, character knowledge. Yeah. I mean, your character met them, so they do know of them. <laughs> I guess. Your neck has a bad memory. I have a bad memory. Good God. <laughs> what, what, I was going to say, for the two of you that were there, what was your biggest memory of that of that whole um, event? Well, Ruby was very freaked out, but very like excited to be in space. <laughs> also, there was a lot of chaos, and Ruby felt like she had to be the mom of the group. Yeah, I remember a lot of chaos, some sort of bedroom where somebody was hiding under the covers. Uh, oh, that was Gemini. Oh Gemini hid under a pillow when gar- when guards attacked. <laughs> That's what I got. Gemini also went up to a group of aliens and tried to pretend to speak an alien language, and then I had to turn her invisible. That that's when that's when Ruby went into mom mode. They're like, oh, these people are crazy. Hey, this is RC. Fandom and charity collide at Rebel Cause. They are a group of Star Wars fans dedicated to doing good in their community by raising money for the homeless. Co-founder Caden Stetler sat down with me to talk a little bit about the group, whose fandom truly inspired him to start. A few years ago, I was actually watching uh, Star Wars Rebels, and I thought it was pretty awesome. The The Rebels in that show actually took food to the Tarkin towns. They're like Hoovervilles. I just kind of was sitting there, and I was like, man, I really wish I could do something like that. That would be awesome. And thought about it for a few minutes, and I'm like, yeah, I could do that. And so the saga, inspired by another saga, began. Care to learn more? You can find a link to Rebel Cause at masksandmayhem.com support. After that... After that adventure in space, uh, Ruby had a small adventure of her own where she was almost mugged after her and her roommate Bethany were coming home from a bar one night. Yes. First, there were some people in the bar that were very rude to us, and then they got mugged, and we went and hid in an alleyway. And I, very creatively, made a dumpster to hide behind. But the guy saw us, so I made a fake wallet. Put real money in there because I counterfeit money's a crunt. (laughs) And then I saw, but then I saw him later and he tried to attack me and I made a hammer and attacked him. And also, yeah, and then he was arrested. And it's also worth noting that during that time, you were dealing with some problems with filming your latest movie. Yes, I think Ruby is trying to make her first movie out of the, like, film school. So trying to make it on her own, no help from professors. Or producers. Yeah, or producers. (laughs) That would actually be helpful. But, you know, she's trying to make it on her own. And she was uh, had to rally, you know, her actors behind her vision. And around that same time as Ruby was having her mugging and filmmaking things going on, Yardak was called back to Atlantis. It was not under the best of circumstances. There was actually an insurrectionist group that was attempting to rise up in Atlantis, and they were detonating explosives around the city and causing chaos. And and during that adventure, Yardak met Yaradamo, who was a soldier in the Atlantean Guard who had proven his loyalty to the king during a time where the king wasn't sure who he could trust. And so he, they, they had to team up to fight back this insurrectionist group. Yes, during our time investigating through Atlantis, we experienced some uh, trials and tribulations of sorts and a little bit of tension, a little bit of tension of uh, the unresolved sexual kind. 
And at the end of the adventure, Yardamu and Yardak got to know each other biblically. And on a separate note, it was discovered that the insurrectionist group was being led by a former member of the Atlantean Guard and friend of Yardax, who everyone thought had died. Also an important aspect of the adventure. <laughs> yeah, also separately, uh, maybe not as important. <gasps> and then, uh, and again, in a similar time frame, Myra had an experience saving someone from a mugger. So the mugger was on top of a building and Myra had to figure out how to not only get there, but also prevent him from doing harm to anybody else. Uh, I'm, I don't really remember how, what our solution ended up being. I believe you ran up, grabbed the person, and got them out of harm's way, tried to fight him, and ended up just taking his gun and taking it apart real quick before running him to the police station and, and, ha- and leaving him tied up in front of the police station. That's right. And I also had to figure out some excuse to tell the mugging victim that, like, that she, like, I'm nobody important. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, you learned uh, very importantly that you have to cover your face when you're fighting crime if you want to stay anonymous. And after that, Myra always wears a scarf around her neck, should the need arise for her to tie it around her face. And then they all were gathered together shortly after their individual adventures for their first group adventure. We had Myra be recruited by Agent Kevin Lewis. We had Yardak in his first meeting with Director Bullard since becoming the ambassador between Atlantis and the humans. And we had Ruby being brought in for her blood test to learn about her powers. And so they got to each interact with with these individual NPCs before they were all asked to do a simulation battle in the horns where they got to fight some Nazis. Nazis. Bad. A hundred Nazi scouts. We hate Nazis. So I have a tendency to put people in boxes. Not, not metaphorical just, ones. Not metaphorical ones. Actual stone boxes. And I made a point to not make holes in the boxes with the Nazis. Because one, they're fake. And two, they are Nazis. We are pro-Nazi punching. So post-Nazi punching, the group was (laughs) let out and sort of congratulated by the union executive staff. And it was at that same time that an alien known as a Quarnian was being transported through the lobby area. The container with the alien creature inside of it lurched from its force, knocking Ruby's blood sample out of the doctor's hand where it broke. And that blood mixed with it somehow and made it extremely more powerful. And then it broke out from its container and fought the whole team before escaping. Yes, we were very concerned and we're like, we should go after that thing. Not good. I distinctly remember it, it did a big swipe with one of its basically tendrils and hit a bunch of people like Frank and the doctor. But like you guys and Director Bullard all kind of dodged out of the way of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we ended up following the Quarney into a park, I believe. Uh, it was uh, a like a like an outlet mall. Right? It was like, yeah, oh, not yeah, right. shopping yeah. center. So throughout the battle at the shopping center, a lot happened. Uh, they tried drowning it uh, with Yardak's water manipulation. The creature actually just went into a complete rage and in one hit slammed down on the head of Agent Alan Rickard. And that's how he ended up in his coma. I just which, met him. At the end of the fight, I used one of my hero points to leap into the air and use my spear that I carry to impale the Quarnian and stick him into the ground. And that's actually a good chance to mention hero points. That is another thing that differentiates Mutants and Masterminds from some other tabletop games. Hero points, along with extra effort, allow you to kind of push your character beyond their normal limits. You you can get a re-roll on a failed roll. You can do kind of a what's called a power stunt, which is a power you couldn't normally do. If you do it with extra effort, it fatigues you, which hinders you. 
or you can use your hero point. You gain that throughout the game through special events that you do or situations where the game master kind of puts you at a disadvantage. You can use it as a later time to kind of make up for that. Yardak used a hero point in that example to get a better role to pin the character to the ground. And Ruby, what was your uh, creative solution? So at some point, someone had told us that they didn't like fire. Ruby made a giant match and lit it on the ground and held it over it until it begged for mercy because it was so scared of the fire. <laughs> so yes, after recontaining the beast, they took that back to base along with Agent Alan Rickard, who has been cared for by Dr. Alvarado and the team of Union medical staff. And then in their second to most recent adventure, the team was brought back for another combat session in the Horns, where Frank kind of put them in a situation that they had to save some hostages. I think it started with two guys that were holding people hostage. And then the more we went in to try to save the victims, the more hostage takers kept showing up. I think Ruby made like an illusion of a sound in a different room to distract them at some point. Oh, and I, and I also made a scrubs and like stole some badges. Oh, yeah. So we so were in we would, like a secret like, in. identity of nurse slash doctor people so I that they think, wouldn't yeah. question who we were. Why we were there. Yeah. Yeah. They were, you guys did some pretty clever uh, ideas on how to blend into a situation. And then this is also another situation where I spent a hero point where Yardak uh, ended up being captured by the hostage takers and had his hands bound behind his back. And as Yardak's powers come from his hands, he was at a great disadvantage. So I ended up needing to spend my hero point in order to break out of these binds. After the team had finally either put all the bad guys into boxes or knocked them out or took their weapons, <laughs> it was at that point that the Hollow Knight showed up, which is basically a giant robotic knight that exists in the simulation world. And it actually swung and slightly singed Ruby with its giant flaming sword. It was at that point that Frank kind of paused the simulation and said, hey, guys, what do you think about this? Do you want me to change it up? And through the interaction between the team and Frank, the Hollow Knight realized basically that it was in a simulator and was able to zero in on where the control room was and blasted Frank, which meant that he could not end the simulation and you had to continue your fight with it. That was scary. After the Hollow Knight put a big hole in the horns, we were kind of at a loss of what to do and how to end the simulation. And then eventually throughout the fight, we remembered that the Hollow Knight has a sort of power pack on his back where his energy comes from. So I ended up using my water whip to basically explode this power pack on the Hollow Knight's back, which ended up winning us the fight. The team was then able to end the simulation. They grabbed Frank and took him up to the doctor to get treated for his injuries. Everyone sort of discussed the fact that Frank had accidentally built a semi-sentient artificial intelligence. Oh, Frank. <laughs> it was at the end of that adventure when Ruby and the team were back talking with the doctor and with Frank that they all talked about maybe going out and hanging out at some point. And the doctor hesitantly agreed and went back into the medical room with Frank and kind of turned and gave Ruby a very pointed, concerned, almost sad look before closing the door. I still do not know what that was about. <laughs> and in a brief post-game sequence right after that, Frank and the doctor were talking. The doctor said, Frank, should I tell her? He put his head in his hands and said, Doc, don't, don't tell her. It won't change anything. That was a bit of a refresher for the audience and for you guys. Yeah, because I don't remember that at all. I remember because I still want to know. And the next time we saw her, it was fine. So I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, after these adventures that we find ourselves in the first recorded adventure, our pilot episode, which is also available. Chapter Zero, 
formation. Masks and Mayhem uses Mutants and Masterminds 3rd Edition by Green Ronin Press. We are not affiliated. The show was written, produced, and artisanally handcrafted by myself, R.C. Byler. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find podcasts. Our official art is by Jen Evans, and our branding is by A.J. Solomon. Our theme music is by Cloud Road Music. Additional music credits, social media links, and episodes can be found on our website at masksandmayhem.com.